go to Howlin' Mustang, but my slow drag will bring you back, well, you may go, but this will bring you back. Ah, been in the country, but I moved to town. I'm a tolo shaker from my head on down. Well, you may go, but this will bring you back. Ah, some folks call me a tolo shaker. It's a doggone lie. I'm a backbone breaker. Well, you may go, but this will bring you back. Oh, you like my peaches, but you don't like me, don't you like my peaches, don't you shake my tree, or oh, well, you may go, but this will bring you back. A hoodoo, a hoodoo, a hoodoo whacking, my heels all popping and my toenails cracking, well, you may go, but this will bring you back. Morgan. <laughs> That's the right song to start today, day nine. That was Zora Neale Hurston herself. That was her putting in the 2020 anthem. Oh, you like my features, but you don't like me. I Literally, she Nicki Minaj, that whole situation. We are going to post it on Instagram. I need everybody to listen to the words. Oh, you like my features, but you don't like me. That's what Zora Neale Hurston We need to have said. a contest. We need to have a contest singing it. on CNN singing this little light of mine and Key Mason was laughing so hard at me. <laughs> that's why I was sitting here cracking up when she was singing it. Because sometimes you just got to believe that you can sing. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes yes. you got to believe it. Yes, yes, yes. Go ahead, Zora. Go ahead. Yes. Go ahead, Zora. Yes. I love that. Welcome, everyone. We are on day nine of Girl Trek Black History Boot Camp. Um, we are going to be talking about women all month. It's a 21-day journey. It is a walking meditation. It is a daily practice where thousands of Black women and a few of our allies gather live on this call to walk and learn about Black women in history. And we're doing it specifically right now because we believe, we know for an absolute fact that Black women were from the future. That Zora Neale Hurston told us everything that we need to know about how we navigate a global pandemic, a, a racial uprising, um, a hostile government, and all sorts of other things. So we are leaning into their knowledge. Morgan, we have had more than 65,000 women who have joined this conversation since we started on June 1st. I just want to shout out those women. They are walking. We take a break on the weekend so that you can catch up. It has been really beautiful. The testimonies are amazing. Please use hashtag Black History Bootcamp um, when you're posting and sharing with everyone um, about what's happening. How are you feeling, Morgan? I'm feeling great. I just uh, I had I have an hour break between I'm doing interviews today with this great organization called Echoing Green, and they identify the top one percent of global innovators in the world. And the first three interviews were all people in the diaspora, Vanessa, and they were genius. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, genius. I'm like, come on, they're getting all five. They were doing so good. It was so good. I was so proud of us. I'm so proud of us. We're so smart. And talking about black genius, there is no one who was smarter than Zora Neale Hurston. Like, I am right. into Zora Neale Hurston. I can't wait to hear about her today. I can't wait to hear about her as well. And so I'm actually, first of all, this conversation, I was thinking all last night, and I stayed up late working on this. I was like, this whole series is going to make Zora Neale Hurston proud, first of all. 
she and this conversation in particular and the conversations that we have been having where we are unfiltered, where we are brave, where we are courageous, where the women on this call are unfiltered, brave and courageous. Zora is looking down on all of us, Auntie Zora, like, yes, sisters, yes, keep doing this, keep doing this. So I, I can't wait to get into the deepness of the conversation, but I actually want to run through some facts about her life because, Morgan, she is a woman who actually, and actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say facts in quotes, because I fully believe that Zora Neale Hurston played things close to her chest and that for everything we know about her, there are things that she was just like, I'm a woman who ain't going to reveal everything to you. And in fact, in one of um, a critique of one of her autobiographies, one of the white writers was like, this was like a 400 page autobiography. And she never even mentioned she was a writer. He was like, how is that possible? And I'm like, because she had a whole damn life. She had other things that she wanted to talk about. She was not being defined. That was number 17 on the list. That was number 17 on the list. of all the Right. Of things she was doing. Exactly. So I love that about her. So let me write you what I think you need to know. Is that Zora Neale Hurston was a Capricorn born January 7th, the same day as me? <laughs> and the same day as one other very famous writer, right? No. Is it someone else? Happy birthday? Joan of Arc. <laughs> I think it's Joan of Arc and Michelle Obama. It's all of okay. us. It's all of us. Rolling all through. of you. Rolling all the Capricorns. Jesus, Jesus okay. was a Capricorn. Elvis Presley, Martin Luther King. All Look. of us rolling through. Lena to the side. Shout out to the Capricorns. Yeah, shout out to the Capricorns. I'm a Virgo, y'all, like Michael Jackson and Beyonce. So that's all you need to know. It is both (laughs) Virgo and Capricorn leading these calls. Let's get into it. Your day is tomorrow. (laughs) My day is tomorrow, right. Let's get into this. Um, Let's lean into these facts because they are so interesting, Morgan. I'm going to run through as much as I can because I know you already know a lot about Zora and I want to get into the conversation. But this is for the folks who maybe only know that she wrote their eyes were watching God. So let's, um, let's talk about her. She was the most successful, most significant black woman writer of the first half of the 20th century. I'm starting there so that when we end with the fact that she died in an unmarked grave, we know what we are talking about. So she was the most successful and most significant black woman writer of the first half of the 20th century. She was born in Alabama, but she was raised in Eatonville, Florida, And Eatonville, Florida was a place where she flourished. It was a culturally affirming setting. Eatonville was one of the first incorporated black cities in the country. Her father at one point was the mayor. It was a place where she was able to see black excellence every single day of her life. And she infused that in confidence in her work. Her childhood, however, came to an abrupt end, Morgan, and I actually just learned this fact about her. Her mother died when she was 13, and her father remarried, and she got into a fist fight with her father's new wife and almost killed her. That shows you who Zora Neale Hurston is. She was a woman who was described as um, big bone, full of life, attractive, um, don't take no mess from anyone. I don't know what her stepmama did, but Zora Neale Hurston gave her the business. Um, she left Eatonville, Florida, and she started traveling around and taking small jobs. And she was in Baltimore and decided that she wanted to go to school. And Morgan, at the time that she decided this, she had not finished school. She was 26 years old. She read, however, that the way you get free public education, obviously, is that you had to be below a certain age. So Zora was like, I got it. I'll be 16. So Zora Jill Hurston just changed her age 10 years off her life. And she never looked back, y'all. She never looked back. She became 16. She got her free education first in Baltimore. And then she actually went to the real HU. Howard, you are showing up during this 21 days. She attended Howard University. She actually co-founded the Hilltop newspaper at Howard. 
before going on to earn a scholarship at Bernard College in New York, where she graduated and got a degree in anthropology. She was an anthropologist. She was a folklorist. She was a researcher. She was wholly interested in the lives of Black people in the South, especially Black world South, about our culture, our dialect, the way we interacted with each other. She excavated that and then traveled throughout the diaspora, especially in Africa and Haiti. It was in Haiti where in seven weeks, she wrote, their eyes were watching God. And she brought that knowledge back, documenting the lives of Black people in really powerful ways. In 1936, she won the Guggenheim Fellowship, which was, she was one of the first Black women to actually do that. And that fellowship actually funded their eyes were watching God. She was on the scene. She wasn't just the scene. One friend described her. They said she was the whole party, not just at the party of the Harlem Renaissance. Her apartment in particular was a place where people gathered. She befriended all of the greats, including Langston Hughes, who she later had a falling out with. We're going to get to that in a moment. Look, Morgan, just know that she called everybody the niggerati. It was hilarious. I was reading no, about her. This, no, no, no. Her and Langston Hughes had a no. Her and Langston Hughes had an apartment in Harlem. They were roommates, and they yes. started a newspaper that was underground called the Nigarati. And it was yes. them, and it was um, County Cullen and Langston Hughes, and they yes. were all up in there, all gender bending, all doing their thing, all living their life up in Harlem. That that house is still there too in Harlem. So we need a placard outside of there. Yeah. Yeah. And if you check today's email, everyone, we um, there's a link to a letter that she wrote to County Cullen and it is about racism and it is about um, our identity. And it is so powerful. So I highly recommend that you read the letter that is in um, today's email. She went on to write other really masterful works. Moses of Man on the Mountain, Moses Man on the, of the Mountain, Dust Tracks of the Road. And she became a who's who in American, um, like every list, everybody was looking for who is Jordan New Houston and talking about her. She became famous, Morgan, we know this, in part because she used the Black Southern vernacular to, um, to write. And she also became criticized. This was part of her falling out with Langston Hughes, which we'll get to in a minute. She became criticized. Some people said she was doing a minstrel show with that type of language in her book. There was a minstrel technique. Richard Wright, the Black author, was one of her biggest, um, Lord, Black men, just support us. I just want to say that, but he was one of her biggest critics. Later, actually, after her writing, she went on to actually found um, the School of Dramatic Arts at Bethune-Cookman College. She taught drama. She was married three times, Morgan. I don't know if she knows this, but she kept giving it a try each and every time. She was married Listen. to a jazz musician. Look, Listen. she was like, Listen. Uh, <laughs> she, was, she was in the game. One of her marriages only lasted seven months. Right. One of her marriages Here's only lasted thing. seven months. Here's the thing. But you know what? I'm going to just go back what? to that quick fact. I'm going to go back to that quick fact about Richard Wright and Langston Hughes. This was a time when yes. we was wearing ascots and was trying to have champagne toast and, uh, and, you know, on the Upper East Side and trying to articulate, you know, that we wasn't bigger, which is Richard Wright's character, right? And the, and the invisible, is it invisible man? Look at me. I'm messing up. But I'm saying like we were really trying right. to demonstrate to the world that we had a sophistication and she was creating the whole field of anthropology at a Columbia university. She was the four, one of the foremothers of anthropology. And she was saying, stop trying to be like them. Let's write down how we talk because it's musical. It's powerful. It's cultural. When you call your, you know, when you call your mama, big mama, cause that comes from our language in Africa, like let's write it down and stop trying to assimilate. So that was a big tension. It was a big, it was, and she held it her was. own. And so she used to just it wear was. overalls everywhere that they went. Yeah. It was. And I will say this, and we're, I'm going to get in, it was part of, some of that tension was also that her and Langston Hughes had the same wealthy white benefactor who was funding their work. 
And there was some yeah. controversy around, okay, this dialect, this language, when it's really being funded by a wealthy white woman on the Upper East Side of New York City. But you know what? Movements need money, every ally on the phone. So thank you very much. Um, but, but Morgan, and this is actually the tragedy, and this is going to shift us to the conversation. Despite all of the things that we just named, despite the fact that she graduated from Bernard, that she started the anthropology department essentially around Black study and anthropology at Columbia, despite the fact that she had written some of the preeminent works of her time, she returned to Florida. And first of all, the largest royalty she ever earned from any of one of her books was $943.75. Even calculated in today's time, she was not getting paid at all for the genius of her work. When she died on January 28, 1960, at the age of 69, after suffering a stroke, she had been living in the St. Lucie County welfare home because she was unable to take care of herself. When she died, her friends took up a collection to pay for her headstone, and they couldn't get the money. And her grave remained unmarked until 1973. It would have been a tragedy, Morgan, and we could have started the conversation there, but it wasn't a tragedy because Black women to the rescue. Alice yes. Walker, the young, Come on, the Alice young emerging yes. artist, said, Come on, Alice. Not, my, not my hero, not my hero. Not my hero. Alice Walker, pilgrimage down, pilgrimage down to Florida. She herself walked she through she a... Pilgrimage. Pilgrimage down to Florida, found the, found the graveyard. The graveyard was absolutely a mess. Waded through a waist-high grass, found Zora's marker. She then put a gravestone on there. And most importantly, she told her story over and over and over and over Listen. again. If you read in today's email, In Search of Zora Neale Hurston, there's a link in there. And her work almost single-handedly brought Zora's book back into prominence where they are now required Listen. reading in most high schools Listen. where we are taught where we are walking around quoting her like we know the, that she is the boss she is that was just one black woman saying nah this black woman y'all are not going to forget in the same way that we are just two black women that is a beautiful place for us to start this conversation Morgan because we as black women have the power to elevate our own work our own life and celebrate us. And Alice Walker, although today is about Zora Neale Hurston, she is a woman who we need to bow down and celebrate for what she did for Zora. And I pray and hope that I can be that impactful in just one other Black woman's life in my life. Maybe she's on the line. Yes. Maybe Alice yes, somebody. On the line. I'm saying 75,000 Black women is on here. So maybe tag her. Alice Walker, thank you for saving the legacy of Zora Neale Hurston. We thank you. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. <laughs> so, Morgan, yes. there is so much to talk about with Zora Neale Hurston, but I have to start here with the dying alone in a unmarked grave because there's layers on layers. Oh, First of all, sad, that's a sad place. It is start. sad. Well, okay, what? It is sad. First of all, there's, look, and you can tell me where you want to go, but here's where my mom was thinking. First of all, we are Black women living in a world that literally has consumed our culture, our language, our style, commodified it, and sold it back to us at a price that we cannot afford and then tried to keep us out of the, uh, the dominant kind of culture. Huh? Sorry. Like, so we, we tick-tock into Black women's dances and not even giving them the credit or paying them the money. And that stuff started with Zora Neale Hurston. And that's something I want to talk about. Secondly, she didn't have children. And as a 
40-something-year-old woman who doesn't have children, I'm like, am I going to die alone? Who's my tribe? I need, we need to talk about this because Zora Neale Hurston went to W.E.B. Du Bois before, before, while she was still living in New York. And she said, can we start to plan for what's going to happen when we as artists age and how we are going to take care of each other? And W.E.B. Du Bois was like, nah, we don't got time for that. And you know what? That's a tragedy. So I want to talk about that. And then the fact that she had $943 was the most that she earned from royalties from her books. I want to talk about how we are negotiating and what's going on. So there's a lot there, but you tell me where you want to start. Cause look, I need to calm down and sit oh, okay. and, and, and take a breath. No, we're going we to talk about that old ass stuff. We're going to talk about that old ass stuff. Come on. <laughs> we're going to talk about mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm, dying mm-hmm. alone. We're going to talk about that. Listen, here's the thing. First of all, W.B. the boy got a big old statue right up the street from my house. Cause he died here in Ghana. And his wife took care of him until he was old. And I'm saying, women, this is a real concern. We better golden girls thing here. <laughs> get us a roommate. We better get us some tacit agreements. Um, and here's here's the thing, though, Vanessa, for real. You need to be nice to the young people in your family. Look, I'm trying to fund summer camp for all my little cousins. I'm trying to fund summer camp right. for all my little cousins so they can take care of me. Right. Yes. It takes a village. It takes a village. And give you a headstone. I got you. It takes a village. Part of the reason, yeah. though, Morgan, that I wondered why, and I, this is, you know, as I was reading about Zora Neale Hurston's life, and I, I, I've been reading about her for a long time, um, and even um, Jewel Bush, who's on our team, she's our chief of external affairs, she tweeted an article that she herself wrote when she pilgrimaged um, down to Eatonville, Florida. So check our Twitter for that. But as I was reading, most people considered her to be kind of honorary, a uh, contrarian. Um, most, and, you know, they, she always has something to say, a little bit of a loud mouth, con- constantly contradicting. People were frustrated with her. People were always, and I was like, is, was that a part of the reason? Like, is there space for us to like disagree and to say what we need to say as black women and then still find the support that we need? Because I was like, is that part of the reason that she was allowed to go down to Florida and not be able to take care of herself because she dared to speak truth to power on some stuff? Yeah, I think it can even be summed up in, in even simpler terms. I actually think we're, that we have differences and biases against each other according to region. I think that there's a, a, I think there's a beauty, a privilege sometimes that people have where we are stacked up against each other and evaluated um, for, for what we bring to the world. And so she was a Southern woman. She was a Southern woman who claimed that heritage who celebrated that heritage she was a tall woman with broad shoulders she was like she didn't dress the way the people in harlem dress she dressed country and there and there was a little bit of bias toward that and 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 looking a lot of it um because yeah 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 Yeah, yeah. a lot of it it's funny because i you know the link i mean i do i like i like Langston hughes and richard wright i will say this what you were saying about them, the aspiration that as we are progressing as a Black people, our progress is measured by how close we get to whiteness or how acceptable we get to it is, a, is something that I think we're even talking about today. Even within these protests, I was talking to one of my cousins and she was like, yeah, you know, she was like, I'm so glad, though, that the protesters are are dialing back, you know, the quote unquote looting and vandalism, because I want us to refocus the conversation because we know that that's distracting. And I was like, is it though? Because I feel like we just, you know, and she was like, and I'm, and it was a little bit of her saying like, let's play our position. Um, Let's show up in a way that's respectable so that we can quote unquote, get work done. And I was like, we've been trying that for how long? 
Like, how long have we been yeah. saying that? I think, like, Zora Hurston yeah. is like, let's show up as Black. Let's show up as unapologetically yeah. Black. And, and stop using but, the wrong measuring I was, Proximity to whiteness is an issue because I was, I was preparing for tomorrow's talk, and we're going to talk a lot about, like, uh, Harlem and that era. And as I was looking even on YouTube for, like, dancers, like, all of them was extra light, like, extra passion, extra, what's the lady on the list who was a fairy godmother? Lena Horn. <laughs> Sorry, I'm to say extra Lena Horn. You know, <laughs> extra. Yeah, Lena Horn, Ella Fitzgerald, the whole thing. Yes, exactly. Josephine yes. Baker, all Ella. of it, yeah. Not even Ella, not even Ella. I'm talking all of them Harlem dancers were no horn. And I'm saying, here you come, this country girl from Eatonville, whose daddy was a mayor, who's proud as hell, who's talking like she's from Haiti, who, who's practicing a traditional African religion. All this stuff was too much. It was too much for respectability politics. It was too much for um, proximity to whiteness folks. And I'm saying, like, right now, we do still experience that of what what is what, yeah. what it means to be or how we can make each other proud like how do you show up and make each other proud you understand what i mean like even if you see yeah. people on the news talk i was if you see people on the news talking about the protests i actually get uncomfortable when um like when we make fun of people who don't speak proper english mm-hmm. on the news or and that yeah. kind of stuff goes viral because uh, it makes me uncomfortable i don't know but morgan okay it makes me uncomfortable too except that you going to lose your job. You going to lose your job. You going to lose your job. If y'all ain't broken, if you have not found that woman on Instagram, she's and if you have not person. in the mirror of yourself broken down to that woman, I was like, yes, ma'am, I cannot wait till I get in the situation. I'm almost like, somebody better not pull me over because I'm going to be like, you going to lose your job. <laughs> <laughs> yes. me, but nothing. She's the spirit of Zora Hurston. Come back to life. Here's the best part about the whole video is that her stomach was out and she was just like shaking it. Like, I need that looseness in my stomach. Like, she was like, but you just arrested me. Fun, nothing. But you know what, Morgan? Even if you're saying that, what was most powerful? No, not jokingly. Even when you were saying that, to me, what was most powerful about the video was the juxtaposition of the accuracy of what she was saying and the confidence by which she understood her rights just opposed to how she looked and what was perceived clearly by all of us as the viewers and even by the cops it was but she was like no let me scandally break it down for you because la law i study my law books and i know like that and and i'm gonna do it for you in sing song it was beautiful but you are but it was also her fear that yeah yeah it was also yeah it was in her constraint it was yeah yeah it was Oh my gosh. Why do you think, um, and this is a question I have, how are we getting more money? Like, like I have like today's call to action, today's call to, call to action in the email was to support a black creative. We um, included a list of 25 organizations. I'm saying this in particular in real time as we, as I have been um, like on stay at home order. When I tell you I've been YouTubing it up, watching all my favorite black yogis, taking their classes, I've been, re- look, y'all been writing your asses off. Like all of my favorite Instagram folks are just writing and sharing their knowledge from the depths of their souls and pictures and this, everything I need to get filled up. But even I asked myself last night, I'm like, how am I pouring back into those artists? So like, am I donating to their cash app? Am I like saying, am I sharing their content so that somebody else can take the yoga class and they can get their viewership up? 
like a little bit, we as black people, let's not just put the onus on how other people can pay us and celebrate us. Like we consume, we consume and we consume and have the means and yet don't even consider when we can be supporting each other. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, somebody bring FUBU back. We need the whole concept. We need the whole oh, he back. He back. Well, he back with a vengeance. I think he's coming he back. Come in, Cross Colors. I look, and I'm about to give me some. Yeah, I know Cross Colors is back, but that uh, Fubu uh, look, it needs to come back. Yes, it does need to come back. It's a great call to action. I'm, I'll challenge myself to do the same thing. Um, just invest in people who are creative, who are writing, who are making making special things for our lives. Um, yeah, how do we how do we die with some wealth? And how do we create some yeah. generational wealth? Well, first of all, yeah. I actually, I mean, you remember that, remember that white woman told me I had an issue of wealth? You weren't there. <laughs> you weren't there. No, I was there. there. I was there. I was there. I was in the room. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there was this white woman. She was very beautiful. She had a little blonde bob, and she was teaching a fundraising class. I gotta pause you, Morgan. I gotta pause you. I'm pausing you, Morgan, because that was shit. That was shade. Little blonde ball. Let's let me try. That's what she looks like. No, I'm being descriptive. No, and it's important to the story. And so she she was like, you know, you just go into these, you know, you go to these mixers and you just have to be confident and you have to be calm. And her 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 advice was so vapid. And I was just like, but don't you think? that like your the way what where you come from the way you talk the way you present yourself all present to the ease in which you ask him for millions of dollars when you go to these upper east side parties i was like because when i come in i'm uncomfortable and she said i just think you're uncomfortable with wealth that's what she said boy the collective gas of them black and brown entrepreneurs in that room <laughs> they was just like oh morgan don't get it don't get a Morgan. I was like, I ain't gonna get her. I ain't gonna get her. I'm gonna just let her say that. But you know, the truth is, is I am uncomfortable with wealth. And I am uncomfortable with the wealth distribution in this country. And because of that, I actually don't even consider myself a capitalist. And I don't want anything to do with profit. That's just the truth of my life. And I know that ain't everybody on the phone. It's the truth of my life. When you grow up poor and poverty so cruelly used against you, you don't actually appreciate wealth. You actually want a more egalitarian society. So when it comes to investing and extracting back out of our community, I don't love it. That's all I'm saying. So in order for us to have wealth, we better have those conversations about whether or not we believe in profit. We better start to have those conversations. And I think now as a 42, my 42, 42 year old black woman who is recently divorced, I am starting to figure out how I make sound investments in, that are some risky, some not, in property, in businesses I believe in, particularly Black-owned businesses, particularly women-owned, women, black, black women-owned businesses, um, how I can invest for dividends. Like I, I'm starting to understand and get really comfortable with that because I believe that we're going to have to circulate our dollars in more meaningful ways. I really do. Cause I don't want to die in a, yeah. in a penniless in a grave. Yeah. And one thing I recognize, yeah. um, and look y'all, I'm a hashtag treat yourself type of girl, but I'm like, I got to dial it back because if this, um, if Corona and COVID-19 has taught, if COVID-19 has taught us anything, it's about a rainy day fund. It's about that not one thing is guaranteed and I and we better get smarter around our savings and how we are spending um, because all them shoes in my closet can't translate into some 
food on the table, although I did hashtag treat myself to some Gucci sock shawl because it made me feel better. So you got to find a balance. You got to find a balance. But also, <laughs> I was looking at my savings account like, you know, like this is real. And especially here's what we know. Black people are the banks for our families as well, right? So I never, even if I got it, I have to have it for other folks in my family. Uh, I want to have it for other folks in my family. And that requires us to just rein in our spending, um, be smarter with how we are investing in savings. I, I hope your cousins is listening. Look, I want look, I'm working on a will right now. On God, I'm working on a will because I was like, I don't have a husband, and if and whatever little money I got in my little Citibank account, I don't want Citibank snatching it from me when if I die. Like, distribute my little ducats to somebody I know. So I was like, I'm yeah. making a list. Who are the people who I want to have? Even my yeah. things, like you know. And I thought about that with Jordan Hurston living in that group home when she died. I was like, what happened to her things? Because I was reading about like when she was in the Harlem Renaissance, she loved to wear long flowy scarves, right? And people did think it was country. But I was like, what happened to her scarves? Like, I want to have those things and pass them down to someone who's going to care about them. So, yeah. And then the last is, thing I'll say is, is we actually have to ask. The last thing I'll say is we have to ask for our worth. We really have to ask yes. for our worth. And we've yes. been really lucky to work with contractors recently who are like, no, that I cost more than that. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I cost more than that. And we got to come back, get our, gather our money and come back and pay black women what they're worth. Ask for what you are worth. If you are negotiating with a job, like do your market research, figure out with your years in the game, what you should be getting paid, renegotiate. Like we have to ask for what we're worth. We have to ask for what we're worth. Yeah, I totally agree. This call went by so fast. This is like so much good stuff to talk about. I love it really is. I do too. My favorite, I want to, um, we're going to end in a second um, with a clip, but I want to, my favorite, my favorite, favorite, favorite quote of Jordan Hoshin is one of my favorite quotes ever is uh, mama exhorting her children at every opportunity to jump at the sun. We might not land on yeah. the sun, but at least we would get off the ground. And I kind of do want to end the conversation there because that was the bigger bigness of Dora Neale Hurston's life is that she just kept jumping for the sun. She kept being audacious and bold. She kept trying and when I tell you that um, Black women, our feet have been on the ground necessarily, right, planted and rooted um, in, a stance of, in a stance of protection and fight that we have needed to have, but that my, my biggest vision and hope for us is that we find um, air beneath our feet as we are walking. Oh, let's jump. Let's all jump together. Oh, let's see if we can make a rocket. Yes. How many thousands of Black women can fall <laughs> at the same time? You ready? Yes. 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 ready? One. One. Oh, stop, stop, stop where you two. are. Stop walking. One, two, three. Ah! yeah yeah keep jumping that's fun y'all we love you we love you we love you we'll talk to you tomorrow you don't want to miss tomorrow it's going to be fantastic I, I love Zora because she brought us to, uh, she brings us to essences. She brings us to beginnings. She begins, uh, she, she defines in, in a sense, uh, 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 reasons that we haven't considered why we had to come to this country, <laughs> well, we, that we have a job to do, and we're, and we're still in, in the process of doing that job. That is to particularize the absolute stunning in nature of the human uh, character, of the human experience, of the human being. That was Ruby D. Have a great day, everyone.